0: Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Hello. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Hi, and welcome to the ICA. Um, my name's Lloyd Davis. I'm the founder of the Tuttle Club, which is a, um, what is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a, lots of people are here. Uh, it's a group of people who are interested in the social web, basically, who get together every week. And uh, we used to meet here at the ICA. and We uh, currently meet at the uh, Center for Creative Collaboration uh, up in King's Cross, where I'm social artist in residence. Um, I'm going to be chairing tonight. Um, There's a few things I want to say before we get into the meat of today. Um, One is mobile phones. Um, Please feel free to keep your mobile phones on uh, in order to tweet or do whatever. Maybe you'll be live blogging or whatever you're going to do with them. But please do turn them to silence so that you're not disturbing everybody around you. Um, a few people are going to be live blogging, so you can see the results of that uh, as it as it comes up. Um, there is a Postures site, cloudculture.postures.com, um, to which we will be posting bits of content. But if you are creating content uh, and you want to uh, post that d- directly there, uh, you can do that by sending me an email. If you send me an email to lloyd.davis.com, Plus c- gmail.com. It'll get forwarded onto the blog and uh, it'll get published. If you didn't get that, come and see me afterwards and, and I'll sort you out um, with how to con- contribute. If you're tweeting, please do use the, c- the tag uh, #cloudculture. Um, and just the thing about photography: um, uh, for those of you who aren't taking photographs, there are lots of people who will be taking. If you're not comfortable with your photograph being taken, I, because it will probably l- end up on the internet, um, then do, le- do feel free to let the person know who's taking the photograph that you're not really that cool about it. Uh, and I'm sure that all those people, <laughs> all those people, will be very pleased to um, to uh, to let you go about your business. Uh, I think that's <coughs> all in terms of just getting you set up. Um, We've got four great speakers tonight all talking about, um, about cloud culture, about t- what happens to culture in the era of cloud computing. Uh, just to let you know in terms of the shape of the evening, we're going to have contributions from the four people you see over to my left. Uh, just so that you know in advance, from this end, it's Charlie Ledbetter, Catherine Pieski, Paul Hilda, so um they're going to be they're going to be coming up and, and speaking then we're going to have we've got about half an hour space for uh what says on the program q and a but i don't want it to be q and a, I want it to be conversation really uh, uh you're quite welcome to say whatever you like uh, and then we're going to go upstairs and there'll be nibbles and drinks and some more focused conversation but that's enough from me Catherine's going to introduce everything, but you're going to do it from there, aren't you? Sir. I am going to do it from there. I'll sit down. Thank you. Kay.
2: Thanks, Lloyd. Um, thank you, everyone, for coming. I, I really can't see you. I'm being blinded by the sun um, here, but um, I trust there's there's many of you. I've seen you come in. Um, I'm Catherine Pieski, and I'm the director of CounterPoint. And I thought that before handing over to Charlie, um, I'd tell you a little bit about... I'd, I'd set the, the context a little uh, about about this publication. Um, we started talking about this project um, at the British Council and at Counterpoint a few months ago because we really wanted to look at the shape of cultural relations in the twenty first century. This is what um, what we were interested in exploring. And um, if you start talking about the shape of cultural relations in the twenty first century, then we needed to take into account um, developments, uh, particularly. Uh, Developing such as cloud computing, Web 2.0, and everything that affects um, our relationship to, to one another um, here at, I, in two thousand in two thousand and ten. And when we started talking about this um, this project, everybody said well, this is a great idea. But why is the British Council interested in cloud computing? It doesn't seem like it's its natural area. And actually, my answer to that was well we 're not interested in cloud computing per se what we 're interested in is the impact of cloud computing we 're interested in in cloud culture as, as Charlie uh, named it as usual um, so well what we 're interested in really is the, is the impact and promise of developments such as cloud computing on culture and on, on cultural relations. so to some extent, my, my first answer is that this is actually a, an absolutely natural Area for for the British Council to be exploring. It's absolutely a, a natural area of interest for us. If cloud computing fundamentally changes how we store information, how we store data, including cultural artifacts, books, films, d- uh, documentary films, then by definition, it's going to change how we relate to them, how we relate to these cultural art- artifacts and and all this information uh, and. Uh, and it's going to change the kinds of relationships that that we build through them. those relationships through culture are exactly what the british council does that's that 's our business relating to other people across the world through culture. If those relationships are going to be fundamentally changed uh, by such developments, then we feel that we need to to take a look at them. But the fact is that this is also an acknowledgement on our part that that cloud computing and, and cloud culture entail a real step change, um, a real revolution uh, about how we think about ourselves and how we think uh, about, about culture and about cultural relations. And this is where CounterPoint's role comes in. In, in a sense, we are the, the, the part of the British Council that is particularly reflexive about what it is that the British Council does and how it is that the British Council works. So I suppose when I say that there's a step change, there's it's worth explaining what kind of step change we're talking about, what kind of revolution we're talking about. And the first first kind of revolution, the c- first kind of major change is the change that, that impacts on our work. Um, the cloud computing and, and also the realities uh, of, uh, so of, of how we store information, of how we access software, of who accesses information. Um, and data, and culture, all of this enables us to work perhaps more effectively um, in certain parts of the world um, that are more difficult of access, that are perhaps uh, more closed, that are perhaps more, more tense, and where, uh, where our work is, is more difficult due to a number of reasons. And that's not being utopian about it, um, in the sense that we also know um, that developments such as the ones that, that we've been hearing about in terms of Google's place in China, for example. Such developments also, first of all, highlight um, all sorts of of difficulties of access, but also they highlight the fact that sometimes um, they make our work also more challenging, more difficult in in certain places. I think it's also an important step change for us because the kinds of transformations that we're talking about, the sort of uh, access... Uh, the numbers that we're talking about are exponential. And because they're exponential, they're quite transformative. It means uh, more people who have access to more culture, to more networks. This for us is also a challenge, um, figuring out how we support networks across the world, um, how, we, how we help people to make the most of them without necessarily uh, encroaching um, or, or shaping them more than, than they might wish. So these new networks, these new audiences, are the ones that we really want to be aware of. But aside from the from the transformations that that this that that these uh, developments entail for our work, um, I think they also, perhaps even more importantly, entail real transformation about um, how we think of culture, how we think of, of cultural relations, how we think about what constitutes heritage, for example. Um, how we curate culture in an age where so many more people could have access and can have access to it. So many more people can also play with it, dismember it, give it new meaning, reshape it. Um, This means that who curates, how we curate, how we preserve uh, culture, which has often been um, the the role of institutions and organizations such as ours, that is fundamentally shifting, that we need to share this, this role. And, and to share it with many more people, many more organizations um, than, than we have in, in the past. It means to some extent also that um, we need to acknowledge the fact that such developments impact on, how on our memory, on our relationship to time, on what will from now on get preserved and what will, what will be lost. I think there's a, a different relationship to what is ephemeral, and what does remain. And I think in in cultural terms, this is a a real revolution that that we're very uh, keen to to encourage, to ask questions about, uh, and to open up a a debate about. I think in conclusion, before I I hand over to Charlie, the important thing for us, I think, is that what we were interested in here, as the title uh, suggests, is the future of global cultural relations. And what we mean by global cultural relations here is, uh, to some extent, it's a signal um, that suggests that we are thinking of relating culturally in new ways. And we are thinking of the promise and the challenges that something like cloud computing and and cloud culture offers. To some extent, it's a real transformation um, of our role. It is no longer um, about broadcasting. It is no longer simply about public diplomacy or cultural diplomacy it is about a very different way of relating to others much more of a two-way conversation and in fact a million-way conversation a myriad-way conversation and i think that to some extent those conversations and the way that they're being transformed is very much at the heart of what we do and therefore this is why we felt it absolutely appropriate to open up to open up this debate now i've i've stressed the promises i've mentioned the challenges um, I'm not utopian uh, or overly optimistic about the ease with which we make the most um, of this of this fundamental transformation. But I am actually um, incredibly, uh, if you like, um, I'm waiting with bated breath uh, for us to make the most of it. And I think we're incredibly well placed to do so. And On this note, I think I'll. Have
3: Good evening. Thank you, first of all, to Catherine and to Nick and all the other people at the British Council for uh, giving me the opportunity to think about this and write this, and not least the time uh, when Catherine said they they started thinking about it a few months ago. What she was sort of subtly saying was it's taken much longer than she was expecting. Uh, And secondly, to thank Lloyd for – I mean, I speak at a lot of conferences – and that is the first fully socially media-compliant introduction to a conference I have ever heard. Um, so that's set a kind of new standard. Um, I just, just quickly, I know this probably isn't a kind of representative sample, but let's just give it a go anyway. Who here would say, broadly speaking, they are optimistic about the future as regards the web and society? Oh, pr- ooh, about 60%. Who here is anxious and perhaps slightly pessimistic about it. About who Who is anxious and pessimistic? <laughs> who here has got the slightest idea what's going on? <laughs> um, that is the real question. And so it was because of that question that I um, decided to try and write this. And it's great to be here, actually, at the ICA, um, Echo, because... Actually, I was first ever in this room, this will age me, in 1983 for a conference about cable television and how cable was <laughs> going to revolutionize everything. But then even better than that, um, my fondest memory is just a few months later, hearing Raymond Williams speak about culture in the ICA cinema. Can you imagine hearing Raymond Williams in person speak about culture? And the only thing I can remember from that entire talk, however... Is a phrase that he used, which was to describe the clash as he described it of two entirely false armies marching across the stage. And that came to mind because it seems to me that if you look at most of our cultural and creative industries, um, it's basically a kind of daily civil war in which there are constant skirmishes, new weapons being introduced the whole time tablets, e books, search engines, whatever. And basically, it's a kind of civil war in a failed state because everyone is fighting everyone else. And alliances are shifting the whole time. Macmillan is fighting with Amazon. Amazon is fighting with Apple. Apple is fighting with um, kind of music publishers. Google is fighting with Murdoch, who's fighting with The Telegraph, but Google's also fighting. I mean, it's just a war of all against all. And in the fog of war, very, very difficult to work out what is going on. So this report is simply... An attempt to try and give a snapshot of what might be going on and what might be going on is firstly that we are moving I think to a different kind of internet Um, the internet that many of us grew up with which was a way to connect distinct and separate computers through a sort of network is I think giving way to something where we're all going to be sharing clouds of data and software into which we put stuff whether it's in a Facebook cloud or Twitter cloud and we'll pull stuff down but this sort of cloud will hover above us and clouds, if you just think about clouds in the sky, clouds I think are enormously benign and often very beautiful but also potentially quite threatening and so I think one of the implications of the cloud is this different sort of metaphor, different way of seeing our relationship with all that information both full of possibility, but also quite threatening. The cloud, that shift, has a huge implication for culture and creativity. Very crudely, if culture is the store of meanings that we have available to make sense of our lives and our world, and if those meanings are embedded in pictures and films and stories and what have you, and if creativity is our ability to add to that, change it, amend it, then the stage is set, it seems to me, for a huge eruption of culture. Um, we'll have more culture available in digital form, more easily, more accessible to more people, who will have more tools to add to it, share, share it, amend it, and so on and so forth. And so we'll have this sort of billowing of all sorts of forms of cultural expression in all sorts of ways, more democratic, more bawdy, more commercial, but also much richer in many kinds of ways. Anyone who's involved in culture will know that if you make a resource, a cultural resource available in new ways, people will find meaning in it that other people didn't see. So Culture24, Michigan University, all the evidence is that if you make resources available more openly, people in a process a bit like open source software will find in it more eyes will see, more meaning, and generate more value from it. And so uh, this could also potentially change the way that we relate to one another through culture internationally. That story has, in the last century, of course, been hugely dominated by basically a north-south trade in culture uh, in which the industrial era means of production in culture have been dominated in small parts of the north. There are exceptions to that. Huge film industries in Nigeria and Bollywood and bits of music, but by and large the story is that this is dominated by the North and the West. The cloud, the, the spread of the ability to contribute, share and create in this kind of way, creates the possibility at least of some kind of different story of global culture, which is a way to connect different and diverse things without removing their difference, without reducing them to some homogeneity. And without sort of collapsing everything into the sort of melange of postmodernism, but finding a way to create connections between diverse things. And you can see the possibility of this everywhere. Um, you can see it in uh, the huge advances being made in science. Science is now ever more going to be an international, collaborative, interdisciplinary, Activity where the focal point will not be the physical lab, it will be the network and the cloud as much as anything. Hugely amplifying scientific creativity. You can see it in open source software communities, which in many ways are the harbingers of what this collaborative creativity might mean. You can see it in Wikipedia. You can see it in a Vaz Pools organization, which has this amazing leverage that many of these things have. 20 people, 4 million members. So you can see it everywhere, and you can see it remarkably in Google's amazing effort, initiative, Gamble, to digitize huge numbers, millions of books uh, with the help of libraries, uh, research libraries who hold public domain works. The scandal that Google Books is based on is the orphaning of most of our culture by traditional copyright. Most of our culture actually lies dormant. Uh, uh, We can't access it commercially, but the commercial rights holders won't make it available. And to Google's credit, it kind of waded into this and just said, well, we'll digitize it and we'll make it available and do something remarkable, create a world digital library of books. But in the very act of doing that, Google uh, has highlighted many of the risks and the dangers that people see, the threat as well as the promise of that kind of power. And so as the cloud has become, and the web has become ever more pervasive, more powerful, more disruptive, but has this huge potential reach, so efforts to control it will grow. And I just want to highlight and end by highlighting four that we really need to confront and think about if we are to have any hope of realizing the possibilities of the open cloud the cloud that could tie together disparate interests and allow collaborative creativity in new ways. The first is governments. Governments have never, ever really liked the net. They've, they feel deeply uncomfortable with it. Uh, deeply uncomfortable because they worry about security, about decency, but mostly because it's so unruly. Uh, and it's unruly and it doesn't fit with their organizations, but it also doesn't fit with politics, the way that politics is conducted. And so the biggest danger, it seems to me, to the open web is not in authoritarian regimes in the Far East. The biggest danger is amongst liberal democratic governments who fail to live up to the standards of the open web. And the biggest danger is that governments will find ways to persuade us that it's a good idea that the net should be brought under control in ways that will make their jobs easier but actually not do very much for us. And thus you see these big arguments here and in Australia about efforts to do that. I'm completely unconvinced that the government here needs to take special rights over copyright law so they can amend it almost ad lib. Uh, That seems to me a huge step backward. Equally, what we do need is innovative public funding for cultural institutions like the British Library and others to exploit this new possible domain. The BBC, I think, is critical to this world, and we need new kinds of public global goods as the science example shows. So all these efforts to create open data and what have you, absolutely critical. So there's a big battle, it seems to me, over government. The second big battle is over the sort of rearguard action being staged by old media and old culture, um, where these business models increasingly um, uh, running out of steam, exhausted, desperate in some ways, um, and uh, trying to put up um, copyright restrictions, extending copyright, uh, making, it more, uh, making it tighter. Uh, and that will ensnare the cloud. If we do that, if we allow that to happen, it will ensnare the possibilities of uh, creative collaboration. So we need to have, it seems to me, a kind of industrial policy in this country at least that will encourage new business models in media and culture that aren't being created at the moment. We need to resist efforts to extend and tighten copyright. We need to reverse the polarity of copyright to make, it, um, that make the <coughs> assumption that knowledge will be shared if there's no good reason for it after a reasonable length of time, and essentially that knowledge should be open. So there's a big battle there. But the battle over old media and old culture and these older forms of organization have distracted Attention from the fact that the people I call cloud capitalists are busy organizing the landscape of the future without us even noticing it. We're so sort of um, uh, interested in the battle of the Murdoch Empire to defend itself that we've missed the fact that these companies are starting to organize the landscape that we will arrive in in due course. Now, often these companies, it seems to me, act in with good intentions. Sometimes I don't think Facebook, Twitter might be examples. They're quite sure what they're doing. And sometimes it's all too clear, and I think they've got extremely cynical commercial motives. But basically there are real issues about who controls the cloud. Whose choice is it on what terms what goes into a public cloud of data? What books remain in the cloud or out on whose terms is it that you get access to them? There are issues about privacy and security which become really critical when you think from the perspective of government, would I prefer the net to be organized by some corporation or some unruly group of malcontents who I don't know how to reach? No, I'd much prefer a corporation. I could deal with them. So the alliance between government and cloud operators is one that's very troubling. And the final thing is that it could just lead to some really stupid outcomes. Um, because the cloud will be organized increasingly not by people but by algorithms which will mine it for data and connections and miss the social context so uh, Facebook recently uh, recommended I reconnect with my wife who I sleep with every night Um, because obviously it is kind of twig that I wasn't kind of connecting with her on Facebook. Amazon recently recommended I buy my own book which was (laughs) a kind of pleasing outcome (laughs) Um, but this is the kind of now Those are clumsy and it's good that they're clumsy because you spot them, but in a way you worry about the non-clumsy algorithms that might be suggesting or shaping or creating what behavioral economists call choice architectures, which shape (coughs) your choices without even you realizing they do. So I think there are huge issues here about competition, regulation, uh, interoperability, and also the possibility that alongside the rise of these corporations, we should – be doing what actually the Google Book Settlement does, creating global central enterprises, global social undertakings that might look after global culture that's shared. There's a huge opportunity there. And finally and fourthly, uh, um, the biggest challenge to all of this, this story of possibility, of course, is just the deep inequality in access and capability that um, actually, uh, although uh, mobile phones in particular are spreading fast to change access to this. It's still a deeply unequal world. And by the time consumers in Africa get their mobile phones and get access to it, much of this landscape will have been organized by protocols written probably in California. So the issues of inequality don't go away. So just to conclude, I am still full of hope and optimism at the potential of the web. I'm still daily inspired by its ability to connect people, to share knowledge, to allow new forms of organization, to underpin democracy. I think there's still lots of people who are excited and doing really powerful things, and I don't think it's wrong, I don't think it's right to write off the possibility that some of those might be in large commercial undertakings, or even government. But the time when we could, in a sense, just hope that this was going to happen that the technology itself would somehow serve some inbuilt code or logic that would promote collaborative creativity, democracy, and the like. That's gone. And so the next decade, for me, will all be about a fight, really, a fight for struggle over control of the Internet. And in that fight, we need to stand up. We need to say very clearly (coughs) what it is that we are standing and fighting for.
0: Charlie, just uh, for those of you who aren't on Twitter at the moment, uh, just a couple of things that are coming coming through. uh, Apart from the kind of endless quotation of and re-quotation of everything that has been said already, that makes Twitter so fascinating. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm very pleased to see Adam Timworth saying uh, finding the ideas being expressed to cloud culture interesting, sort of high-level thinking about consequences of change. Thank you for suggesting that Adriana should be here to challenge some of the thinking. Um, she should. I'm sure we invited her. Um, I'm going to introduce you now to Paul Hilda uh, from Avaz. Uh, Charlie spoke very briefly about what they do. Um, for me, one of the great, great things about the way that the web is developing and, uh, and where we're going is that it allows us to organize ourselves in different ways. It allows us to organize ourselves to get things done. Uh, and um, Paul is going to, I hope, talk about that in the context of the cloud. Thank you. Do yep. as I'm told.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great to be here t- um, and to have the opportunity to respond to Charlie. Uh, it, it's really an interesting uh, piece of work, one of the most interesting things I've read for a while, actually. Charlie's always had a way of picking the uh, the ideal metaphor or the story or, or the just, um, And I think... Um, cloud capitalist thing has just got me thinking about whether I'm a cloud socialist or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think cloud culture is uh, both a gorgeous and a well-attuned uh, metaphor for the situation we find ourselves in, um, combining the, the sort of confusion of it and the threat and the beauty at the same time. I think it takes a while to work out how to trim your sales in a cloud, um, how to respond, how to share. Organizations are, most organizations, I think I'm still not Good at it, and I think uh, most individuals most of us uh, still find it tricky we 're still learning every day, um, which is good actually it 's a good way to way to live i guess i 'm been asked to to speak here for two reasons firstly because Ava's does some of this stuff uh, ourselves w- Charlie 's mentioned us in the Publication and partly because we're interested in the politics uh, of this stuff. And um, when I say we, I'm talking about uh, us as a group of 20 odd organizers, uh, but more importantly, I'm talking about the four million uh, members of ours, and I count myself as one of those uh, two, uh, who are coming together through the internet to try and make change happen you know, across a whole range of uh, issues and agendas. Now, one of the things that we do uh, is we try and Um, remove barriers to clouds uh, in some places in the world. Uh, For instance, our members have donated to fund um, uh, technologies and tools which uh, assist in the circumvention of government censorship and surveillance in places like Iran. Um, uh, But it's really much more than that. It's also about the way in which we operate. uh, and, you know, one example of that is the way in which we make decisions about what it is we're going to cam- campaign together. Um, on, uh, you know, w- and very often that starts with an email from a member. I'm thinking of a campaign we've got underway at the moment where we've got some emails um, about a month ago from <coughs> a gay activist in Uganda um, and also from an Anglican priest almost simultaneously in Uganda, people who didn't know each other, uh, who were talking about the, uh, the law which was being brought forward there. Making homosexuality basically illegal, potentially punishable by death. Um, You know, and what we go, what we do when we get emails like that? We go away, we research the issue um, as organisers, talk to people who know about it, know what the moments are going to be, what the campaigning angles are going to be, and we bring it back to members. We poll them. um, We use surveys quite a lot. um, uh, And then, very interestingly, on this issue, we found ninety plus percent support for the angle that we had, even in Africa. uh, where you might think that there would be cultural problems um, it 's very interesting how you find that some, some things are really very universal uh, if you find the right way of talking about them, uh, you know, and then we run campaigns and it's, you know, if, if people don 't participate in, in a campaign the way we 've framed it, then we can go back and change it um, so that it works for the cloud as organizers we 're constantly trying to understand the cloud we 're trying to understand what it wants to do we 're trying to support it we 're trying to facilitate it, give it the best opportunities. Um, we're looking for network effects in that. We're looking for things like vi- virality. And it's a very interesting... Uh, it's a bit like sailing or or being being in the air in, a, in an airplane. Something else we try and do is open source organizing, uh, which is slightly different. It's, it happens outside our immediate network. It's about offering out ideas which other people, other organizations can then pick up on. We did this in around the, uh, the global climate change movement last year uh, on a number of occasions, one... <coughs> September 21st when we um, offered out this idea of everybody doing flash mobs just before a UN, UN summit and people just ran with it and did the most amazing creative stuff and then seeing that coming back in through a collaborative process of sharing videos and images um, you know, on, the, on that, that, that night was an extraordinary uh, I- experience and it moved many of the people who saw that stream of images to tears actually uh, and then that happened again on October the 24th with an organization called 350 and then on December the 12th, when we had a set of vigils around the world, uh, which the whole uh, climate movement was involved in, climaxing with something with Desmond Tutu and in, in Copenhagen itself, uh, at which images from around the world were shared. And one of the interesting things about that was that, you know, big organizations were an important part of it. But actually, it, it gave extraordinarily, it, it was extraordinarily empowering to just local networks, local groups, people who... Uh, had their own little networks in in particular places. Uh, it just gave them a way of doing what needed to be done. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm very keen on Charlie's Open Cloud uh, Declaration Manifesto. What's it called? Declaration. <laughs> declaration. Um, Uh, it sort of reminds me of John Perry Barlow's declaration of independence of cyberspace except that that was a bit silly Um, (laughs) and this seems to be much more uh, grounded in both a a realistic understanding of where we are now and and a realistic understanding of where we might go next, there's more I was going to say Gramsci but actually Raymond Williams is probably a better (laughs) analogy and and, and less uh, uh, silly cyber libertarianism in it um, because I think Charlie understands how power and technology shape culture and vice versa. Um, uh, I think that what he's talking about is not exactly a, um, a campaign, but it might be a sort of a, a movement. It's, it's about uh, an overlapping set of conversations and campaigns which we need to get ingo- involved in, um, which are about the overall direction of our, of our society and our culture. And that's partly about things that people like us and the Electronic F- Frontier Foundation and Amnesty uh, do and um, people at like the ICA. Um, uh, in some ways as well I think it's importantly about what Google and other uh, corporations do and about what governments do. I, I think what Google did on China uh, is a very interesting uh, act which shouldn't be, shouldn't be treated uh, uh, cynically. Um, I, I think in general um, you know, power shapes the way in which uh, we live our lives and, and experience culture and uh, it needs to be held accountable, and it needs to be changed when it goes wrong. Um, but it is possible for these new power centers to behave accountably and, and responsibly. And I have to say, you know, if Google becomes genuinely and obviously evil, uh, I don't think its cloud will cohere for very long. Um, uh, so I think there's a whole range of things that we uh, need to be working on, and that people are working on, and I see a, a sort of coalesce- coalescence around uh, Charlie talks about them uh, in the pamphlet. It's, it's the open access to information, the censorship stuff. It's, it's about progressive frameworks, about copyright and sharing. Bill Thompson is in the audience who I worked with on a big debate around uh, copyright some time ago, and I really do think that there's a way of striking a better balance there. It is about striking a balance, but a better balance. It's about cultural relations, and, and this idea, which I, I was very struck by, of sort of more... Uh, open, more reciprocal, more rhizomatic, you might even say, uh, forms of cultural relations, uh, which are based on mutual respect. We did a video called Stop the Clash of Civilizations, which was about this. Uh, you know, it, it, and, and it's about um, you know, getting, gev- getting government to open up more, and it's about getting some of these corporate actors to, to open up more. Can Facebook really o- own my social graph? I, I don't think it can. Um, so... And I think, actually, this is a very exciting time. It's a troubling time, but it's an exciting time. We've got these networks and hierarchies interpenetrating here. And it's true not just of Western society. If I think about Gaza and the times I've been there, Gaza is is in many ways a cloud. China, I think, is probably a a stratified kind of cloud today. Um, I think it's entirely possible for people to get stuck inside their clouds, and it can be a blinding experience. I a, a few days ago, was uh, happened to be in the co-pilot seat of a light plane flying through a cloud bank, and it was a very, very strange experience. <laughs> you lose, you lose all sense of where you are. Um, but I th- think if you can get perspective um, uh, on your clouds and uh, understand their dynamics, uh, uh, you know, then then you can learn how to ride the turbulence and how to how to change it. Um, uh, and I do actually think. That this new space, this new way of interacting that we have, uh, takes the world's conversation potentially to a whole new level. It potentially it brings it alive. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Um,
0: we wanted, we didn't want this to be a complete geek out, uh, and so we uh, we thought about who we could get who'd be who give us a more more of a kind of mainstream view of uh, contemporary culture. Where better to come than the Institute of Contemporary Arts and their artistic director, Echo
4: Thanks, Lloyd. Um, it's very interesting to hear what, what everyone's been saying. Equally, I guess I share um, uh, optimism, pessimism about where we're going. And I guess I think about that culturally, and I think about that also personally. But, um, uh, you know, it seems to me uh, sort of fascinating, uh, very exciting, to live in a time of uh, simultaneous access to huge amounts of ex- to huge amounts of exchangeable information and images and sounds, and you know, a few years ago we used to call something like that. We used to call techniques of drawing down that kind of information sampling, and now that feels such an antique term, feels such an analog one channel term for what um, for what takes place now. Because actually, the difference now is that we all exist in a perpetual present, and uh, you know, obviously. You we can raise questions about um, what that does to originality of music or films or so on and so on. But I think uh, one of the interesting parts, one of the optimistic parts about uh, that kind of cultural promiscuity that we are all um, party to is that it allows for a constant critique of known forms and traditions. So Paul uh, used to... Used, uh, Term a moment ago about networks and hierarchies, and the interconnection between those two things I think becomes very interesting. You know, in, in purely uh, visual art terms, it reminds me there's a school of, uh, of visual art called institutional critique which is all about artists uh, like Hans Hacker in the 70s and various artists like Fred Wilson going into galleries and actually asking very searching questions about the makeup of uh, of the work on display in there, but also about what happens behind the scenes, about who the trustees are, about where the money comes from, about all these connections, about the networks and the hierarchies that exist inside those institutional spaces themselves. And it's that kind of bringing together those things that I think becomes very exciting. Uh, I think the cloud and the, the information that... Act that comes access that way, allows us to asks, ask uh, relevant and pertinent questions about the um, power structures that exist around us. I um, got a phone call today. Um, someone was asking me for a quote from a magazine, and their line was, our galleries is the new cathedrals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a point. Uh, my, thing, my thing is that actually galleries should be the site <coughs> of, should be the new site of dissent. And sacrilege, they should be the places where serious questions are asked, again, about the world around us. And it seems to me, again, that, that, that we have an opportunity to ask questions right now. Um, that's, the, that's the good side, in that we can all be better informed. We can all inform ourselves and use that information to spread thoughts. Um, obviously, the downside of that is that we can also use that information to spread uh, unthoughts, half-truths, rumors, conspiracies, and... Um, And that has a sort of personal effect because to to some extent, you know, we're all denizens of the cloud right now. We're all citizens of a cloud society. Some of us choose to be in that place. Like I think of um, early examples of life casting, people like Justin Kahn in in the the 1990s who, um, you know, who filmed and archived every aspect of their lives. But, again, that was then. Right now, in a way, we're all part of that. Uh, I think for... I think I'd probably speak for most of us in that there are images of us that exist online. There are things that are written about us that exist online. And what we, what we find ourselves in is this new, uh, interesting, potentially disturbing blurring of our private and public selves. Uh, so things are written about us, some of, the, some of which is true, some of which is fantasy, some of which is defamatory, um, and none of it disappears. Mm. You know, we're all dogged by the long tail, uh, by this collective cloud memory that, uh, that exists around us. And what I'm specifically interested, I guess, about that is who owns that? Who owns that version of ourselves that exists out there or up there? Um, uh, you know, that version of ourselves that's not quite true or accurate. Um, you know, Because th- there's an odd mix of things. There's an odd mutability and simultaneous fixity to uh, information that exists online. If we see something imprinted on paper, we tend to think it's accurate. We do question stuff that exists online, but at the same time, it doesn't really go away. At the same time, it has this weird fluidity and permanence all of its own. And that's the cloud condition. That's how we live right now. And um, uh, we, b- we all become, in a way, um, we all end up with these meta versions of ourselves that are owned by the cloud or owned by the crowd that aren't quite us, but have our name to them and have our face to them. Um, And, you know, that's the individual version of all of the kind of um, slightly knotted and tangled online conspiracy theories and and, and sort of um, ground-level-up movements that start online. It's very easy to tell all kinds of stories about us personally or about groups or societies or organisations. You know, one could get paranoid about that. I think, just to finish that the interesting thing here is what culturally comes out of that tangling, that information and misinformation that, uh, that we're all party to. Um, so there's a book that's coming out in March, I think. It's a very interesting book called, uh, by, by a writer called David Shields called Reality Hunger, which is the first book I found that, that, that begins to take any of this on board. Uh, Reality of Hunger is, um, is a manifesto which calls for a new understanding of truthiness, and it's a book that's made up entirely, or almost entirely, actually, not entirely, but mostly of, uh, of appropriations from other writers. It's a book just uh, that lists uh, one quote after another and some new thoughts and argues that, um, that there are no rules around fiction or non-fiction, that all forms of culture right now are about appropriation and about borrowing and about memory the memoir, TV, film, performance, art, hip-hop, poetry, all of these things right now are prey and party to the same impulses, or the most exciting work in that respect is, you know, think about something like The Wire, which is half true, half false, but wholly original. Um, and so, the, 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 you know, the final question for me is, uh, in reference to this, is, you know, what is the culture under the cloud? What will we come to make? And, you know, the truth is it'll be many things, it'll be dark, will be heavy and scary and intense and sometimes it will also create beautiful new forms of work that work will be original but it will also be derivative and uh, and quoting from other sources but the main thing I hope is that that culture uh, that we end up creating has more individual participants in it, more voices more questions that have been asked about who we are and about how we live thank you
0: Thank you. Thank you, everybody.